This is the So Fine Podcast, Episode 10, Human-Sized Socks. Arts, education, conversation that makes a difference. Welcome to So Fine, the School of Fine Arts Podcast, with your host, Todd Hennessy. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is Episode 10. 10 episodes of my, my little podcast. I'm pretty pleased. And I'm really excited today to be talking with uh, Melissa Tremblett and Diana Chisholm. Uh, two local artists doing really cool stuff. Uh, had the chance to talk to you both on uh, Friday at the uh, the Evas. I keep wanting to say Eva Awards. That's redundant because actually the Excellence in Visual Arts. No, no, it's not. It's the Excellence in Visual Arts Awards. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, Melissa, you were up for an award, which we'll we'll talk a little about. And Diana, you're on the on the board. On you're the board, board. Yeah. Cool. So, do you want to say hello and tell me, um, let me a little bit about yourselves? Diana, you go. All right. Uh, I'm Diana Chisholm. Right I'm, Thank you. Uh, I guess I'm an artist and an arts you are an illustrator. Artist. I yeah. Sometimes I make things and sometimes I organize things and sometimes I teach. Uh, yeah. And right now you're organizing the uh, Rutgers at Woody Point Festival. Is that right? Yeah. So you're the new executive, executive director. Yep. Cool. So yeah, we're in a in a transition period for like the organization, I guess the admin, and we're also celebrating our 15th anniversary this year. Um, 15? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So the festival's running August 14th to 19th this year, and we have a the third iteration of Comedy at Woody Point with host Steve Patterson in July from the 13th to 15th. A Tim Baker show at some point in late July. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah. I hadn't heard of the Tim Baker show. Yeah, I guess he's rolling out a solo album in the fall. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. So are you enjoying that? I mean, how's it all? I mean, the festival is its own, I mean, it's a pretty spectacular event and it's, you know, a uh, pretty major event on the West Coast. Hugely popular. So popular, I haven't been able to get tickets in the last three years. Can you just, can you give me tickets, by the way? <laughs> I can get you on a wait list for tickets. Oh, man. I can get myself on a wait list for tickets. <laughs> um, yeah, we, tickets went on sale on the 12th. There are some available for uh, Saturday afternoon, I think maybe Friday evening and Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be good. Blackie and the Rodeo Kings are coming what? on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, the kind of reading and conversation series kicks off on the Thursday with Tom Power interviewing Tom Wilson and Alan Doyle. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that'll be fun. I think, uh, yeah, that's super popular event. And then uh, Sharon Bala is coming to do some readings from The Boat People and Jamie Fitzpatrick. And oh, neat! Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I, you know, I've lived in on the West Coast for uh, almost twenty years now. Only started going to the Rose Festival a couple of years ago, uh, thinking I wouldn't really, I don't know, wouldn't dig it. I guess I don't know. And went up to Woody Point and just had a, whoa, had an amazing time. It's just, it's a awesome thing. But what do you think? What do you? I mean, what's it's evolve like it, it's evolving. It's becoming naturally encompassing other things. Um, I'm really excited as a visual artist this year. We're having uh, Pam Halls coming to do a talk about her t- first two chapters of Towards an Encyclopedia of Local Knowledge, and there's going to be an exhibition of that work up at the Merchant Warehouse. There's going to be a Art for Lunch talk on Friday. 
um, about a book called The Good Lands, um, Canada Through the Eyes of Artists, that is um, two of the contributors were involved in the Bonavista Biennale last year. Um, and then uh, David Ferry is back for short, uh, short waves, short stories. Oh, cool. Um, which is nice because it's like a good end, like it's usually Sunday morning, a good end yep. to like the festival, but kind of a tr- like an homage to like radio storytelling. Yeah, 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 yeah. A couple of years ago, I don't know that we got up last year because I don't think we could get tickets. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was it the year before we saw Ramona Deering's radio play in the in the Legion? I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was kind of really incredible. Uh, yeah. In part because it was sort of spoken word, but just the fact that it was a play, you know, kind of happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were all sitting in the in the Legion listening to this. Listen, you know, the actors were sort of in the kitchen or something, and uh, we were outside, all listening to a play together. It was it was uh, it was kind of neat. Yeah, and, and yeah. they've been record like the the David Ferry piece has been moving every year it was in the united church last year it's back upstairs in the theater this year it's been on a bus it's been kind of all over the place but the past few years like the participants are kind of like speaking in another room and the audience is just really like fully enveloped by the words as opposed to visuals but there is a dance element this year oh cool yeah oh sounds like fun Mm-hmm. And what else is going on? Uh, what else are you doing? Um, Those are uh, leading questions. Why don't you talk about the Digital Arts Festival uh, that happens the, up in the uh, college hospital? Oh, uh, yeah. I've been, the past couple of years, I've been going to Cottage, which is kind of uh, as like an arts incubator yeah. for a period of time. It's part retreat that gets open to uh, the public for an evening. And I've been collaborating with Steve Mugford. So we've been working on kind of digital storytelling. In um, what way? Uh, well, this year we were working around an, an idea of the fisherman's sweater. And what we've been hoping to do is t- we've been doing projections of images and videos and wrapping those projections around objects. So we were wrapping images and videos around sweaters on mannequins this year and kind of collecting stories from the audience like so the work we do kind of triggers people to kind of tell their own stories tell their own stories yeah. oh interesting mm-hmm. as a reflection of the work that they're seeing so you're projecting images onto sweaters yeah and this is inspiring people to tell stories yeah so this sure. year we kind of we used light and um kind of crocheted netting that I had done for another project and um, 3D pieces and glass to like refract light to kind of make it an immersive space but all like all of I took the images and Steve's kind of knows the the projection software and and has a lot of fun kind of splitting it we can split our projections so that they project or like kind of in 3D or around the room around the room yeah Huh. Um, so this year I went and I did some photographing around Wild Cove, like just outside of Norris Point. Yep. So trying to like use familiar imagery to, to trigger stories or fabulous memories. Yeah. yeah cool. Um, I'm going to go over to Melissa just for a second. Yeah. Um, cause I want to talk with Eva's cause you're, you're, we're all there at the Eva's on 
Friday. Yeah. Uh, it was really kind of fun, actually. So you were nominated for the Emerging uh, Emerging Artist of the Year? Emerging Artist of the yeah. Year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what was, what was that like? Um, I was actually, I won the um, uh, Achievement in Community Excellence for Visual or Emerging Artists Award for Corner Brook on the 15th of May. And it was that Friday that I found out that I was shortlisted for the uh, Emerging Vid- Visual Artists Award for the uh, EVAs. Um, and I was really, I was so grateful. I was almost blown away by the reception that I've been getting for my work. Um, and what is that? I don't know. I think I'm very honest. Um, my work is a lot about processing how I'm feeling and experiences that I've had. And I guess that when I put something out there that's so so specific to me, it almost becomes very general. Uh, and the way that I put it out there and the intention that I have, it gets so... It gets so exciting when people come in with their own experience and they see the work and the way they talk to me and how it's impacted them really gives me perspective that what I'm doing is important, not only for myself, but how other people react to it and what that means to them. Yeah. Is that surprising to you that people respond to it in that way? Yes and no. I feel like I started doing art as a way to process what I have gone through and that itself turned into me kind of wanting to finish this degree for myself. I had originally planned on going into art therapy. um, And it was kind of me always wanting to help other people and me being a caretaker. um, And that's how I sort of grown up with that mentality. And for me to make art was, I was going to make the art to get the credits to do art therapy, to work in sort of, a psychology field because that's in my mind how I was going to help people so when I got here and I really liked it and I really realized how much it was impacting me and helping me process I decided to finish it for myself and you know kind of realized that making art helps myself but it also helps other people and in my mind the way that I had thought I had to help people was through psychology and through you know verbal therapy and stuff like that it turns out that um, I'm not very good at this, so making art just makes me feel better, and I know that it, other people feel better. I feel better looking at other people's work, so I just would assume that people would have the same reaction to work that I make. Looking at your work, yeah. So, and you had a degree in psychology, uh, behavioral neuroscience through, oh, through psychology, wow. yeah. Behavioral neuroscience. neuroscience. What, 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 is, what is behavioral neuroscience? <laughs> It's really taking a look at the physical brain and how the structures work within like the psychological processes that happen in your brain. So a lot of psychology deals with the brain, the abnormal um, functioning and how that relates to you know certain mental illnesses and right. all that stuff. So what we would do is we would look at the brains, the neurotransmitters, the different areas of the brain and how they interact as a result of the psychology, the, the processes that are going on. Right. Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend I understood any of that, but that's okay. <laughs> did you, uh, well, I guess it's uh, obvious, but it's, I guess maybe a dumb question is how does that, inf- how did that inform your work as a visual artist? Um, well, I finished that degree and I was living with my cousin and I was like, Dennis, what am I going to do with my life? And he's like, let's apply to art school. And I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> but I had been, you know, painting casually with him, and I originally got into uh, 
art, doing art therapy for myself. And so, you know, putting around and doing those sorts of things and living with my cousin and he was going to apply. And I was like, oh, I'll apply too. And then I was late for like my last final of my degree because I was at the pure leader office with like a couple of big boxes because I didn't know how to use a computer or a camera or anything. So I brought all these boxes over and trying to get that all settled away and packed properly. And so it was late for my exam and, and it just happened that I got in and I was like, well, I guess that's a thing now. So I came over and I was like, well, I got the psych degree. I'll do the, you know, the, the courses that I need in visual arts to be able to apply to Concordia to yeah. do my master's. And like I said, I got over here and I loved it. But for me, it's art has been, a, like I said, about processing things. So it hasn't really been about the neuroscience or the psych degree in that sort of a way. Um, they're definitely linked and I guess it informs how I think about things and how I, I can see things and how I relate to things. But in general, it doesn't really have a connection. Is the studio kind of like the lab though? I guess in a way, except everything's not so technical and you know, we would have to like do little slides of mouse brains and everything had to be perfect. And there is a lot of technical things that go on like the print shop and stuff like that, that I, you know, I love uh, order and I love processes and I guess it does relate in a way now that I speak of it <laughs> I have a science degree as well yeah. and people often ask me if if my science background informs my art and I like I'm like yeah the studio is just like the lab so so people don't see it on the surface they're like you never talk about biology or aquatic resources or you're not talking about anything water related but it's not like a direct reference it's just when I work I feel like I'm in the lab yeah. and uh Oh, geez, I forgot what I was going to say just then. Duh. Well, that's okay. Because I guess, because the follow, uh, I guess for me, the other question is I tend to think of, you know, scientists as working in a very particular sort of way. Well, you say in a lab. So it's the empirical mm -hmm. method or whatever it happens to be. And you're, you're, you're taught to observe the world, analyze the world, examine the world in a very particular kind of a way. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that's the same way that you approach the world as a visual artist. Mm -hmm. Clearly, everything you think and do informs your work as an artist, but yeah. it's, it's, it's the methodology I guess I'm really thinking of or, or curious about. You know, yeah, you're not dissecting mouse brains, yeah. but are you bringing that kind of? I mean, how does that sort of analytical? You know what I mean? How does that? How does that right side thinking affect the left side thinking, or or does it? Or what's the cool kind of mashup between those two things? Uh, when I was coming into the visual arts program, I was thinking like, oh, I had to write like five, 10 page papers every semester. And I was like, oh, if I have to do as much work as I did back then, like I can totally do this. And I got over here and it was like five times as much work. Cause it's like, I can read the paper and I can cite this, you know, the sources and all that. But here it's like, I have to think a lot conceptually. Um, and I guess the science background for me, is like, I always observe. I do a lot of observing, observing before I do anything else. So I kind of have an idea of what I'm going to do. I have processes that I'm going to use. And so for me coming into something, I always have, uh, I always have sources that I'm going to look at. I have materials I already picked up before I even start doing anything. And I guess for me, I'm, I'm a lot less apt to coming in and just starting something and see how it turns out. Like I, I generally have to have an outcome in hand before I start. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Same for you. Yeah, it was hard to let go of the little bit of, like, the methodical. Yeah. But, um, I don't, from an art perspective, I don't think 
I don't know if it was good work, but I wasn't satisfied with what I was doing until a point where I stopped treating it really preciously. And, and the stopping point is like, because I think because lab work and science is so methodical, um, your intent, like whatever you're starting out to do, you have this like great idea and you can kind of visualize what you want to happen, which is never going to happen. Like there's, I don't know, an unwritten equation where like your final product is maybe 3% of what you originally intended it to be. And, and the, I think how kind of process based and like method based the sciences are like to let go of that original, like it has to be just like this or to let go of that original intent intent, but also to like not think of things as precious in order to be able to oddly enough experiment and have the work come out the way it needs to was kind of the like yeah. that's the biggest difference for me is like like sciences like there's so many controls when you're working and I think in the work I do in some ways you have to let go of those controls right that you have okay now I'm gonna ask uh, another question and uh, I get in trouble when I ask artists, visual artists this sort of thing but uh, I think of you primarily as a painter is that would you no, I did uh, photography and printmaking, and I, I think it is the ritual, knowing exactly what's going to happen at the end, you know, switching it so I can make it perfect, like all the little variables. Now I do a lot of, like, fiber art and installation, so it's oh. changed since I've left yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing that comes to mind is when you were a student here was the uh, the tent that you <laughs> built it. <laughs> the tent. But I do tend to think, uh, but that was a big material thing, right? Yeah. It, it, you know. You know, yeah, it was, so it was a large canvas tent, 12 by 12. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I tend to think of um, you as a sculptor, uh, mm-hmm. and but very heavy materials. Very right? heavy. So uh, I don't know where this question is going, even if I have a question, but but two scientists in a former life, uh, probably you know dealing with fairly conceptual things or analytical things, or, and then you know heavy materials. Well, not always, obviously, but yeah. you know some degree of you know just of this solid stuff in your uh, in your work which I think is kind of interesting mm-hmm. but only to me probably you need to keep going <laughs> I was like, I was like, what are you asking yeah. I just think the juxtaposition is interesting I just think it's neat oh, that, yeah, yeah. Uh, again what I think of when I think of science is that you know heavy duty sort of cerebral analytical you know stuff that I don't do mm-hmm. but then in your art in your some of your practice mm-hmm to be dealing with really firm, concrete, you know, just very heavy materials. You know, I, I find that juxtaposition interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. I still find, though, when going into things, it's for me, it's a lot about the process now. I'm not so concerned with how it ends up because it's going through the process and doing the things and doing the handwork. It almost connects me more to my culture. I'm from Labrador, I'm Innu. And so it kind of connects me to that because of all the handwork and the craft work, so to say, that they would do. For me now, it's more important to learn how to make a tea doll than it is to have a tea doll. And, you know, people would ask me, oh, well, you know, could I get one for Christmas? And I'm like, absolutely not. It took me six months to make this first one. Like, um, And so the exhibitions that I've had, it was it was just generally like a large process for me to make what like having an idea in my head of what I wanted to make but then actual making of it and going from thought 
to actual object. Like that's the most important thing for me. Right. Yeah. Um, so I have had a couple of exhibitions in the last year and I've used sort of those objects, but like I said, it's, it's me just coming from, this is a very personal thing mm. and I'm putting my soul out here. Uh, and I'm really appreciate how people have reacted and what their experience has given back to me. Cause it, it makes me look at my own work in a different light as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And is there a meticulousness? I mean, we're dealing with fiber or dealing with those sorts of objects. I imagine it must be. I love being meticulous, like meticulous, monotonous chores. For some reason, I love it. It gives me it gives me time. Like I'm working with my body, but it also gives me a lot of time to think and reflect. And I've always kind of been like a thinker and a watcher um, and a doer. But I just I'm very quiet generally. Yeah. When it comes to those things, I just like to reflect. Knitting the tiniest socks. Knitting the tiniest socks in the world. <laughs> Did you do that? Yeah, my tea doll has uh, little tiny socks. And I've knitted like one pair of regular human-sized socks. And I was like, oh, I can totally do this. And then I get down and it's like, oh, it's fine. And I get down and I'm like, how do I turn the heel of like a tiny doll sock so I, <laughs> I made the first one. It came out just like a little, I was like, turn the heel. It's all perfect. And then when I casted it off, it's like, it's just a rectangle. And I was like, oh no. So I tried it again. I got smaller wool. I had, still had like the tiniest needles I could find. And I got around the heel and I was like, oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> and then I knitted and knitted and I just, you know, it just got smaller and tighter. And it was so hard just to move the needles. And I kept dropping stitches. And I was like, how is this possible to get back on the needle? So there definitely, you can see how, uh, that has evolved into the shape but it's so tiny but i loved it i spent like six hours like trying to make a little tiny sock i was like awesome and then i went to do the other one i was like how did that happen (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know how i did that the first time i think that every time i make human size socks yeah how did that happen how did the first one happen how do i get this one going (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and do you want to talk a little bit about that influence of your culture in, in in your work yeah, sure. Um, I was born in Goose Bay, lived my first few years in Cheshire, um, and then my dad got posted into Newfoundland for his job. Um, and I always start the story, and it's the same thing you'll probably hear from me anytime I tell this, because it's a very important part of how I got to the place of where I am. So when, my, when we moved to Gander, my dad and mom ended up getting divorced. He went back to Labrador, and I spent all of my schooling year in Newfoundland, I spent all of my summers in Labrador. So I was educated in Newfoundland and, you know, the more European, Eurocentric kind of thought. And then it was really hard for me to go back to Labrador where people weren't necessarily academia focused. Like I had done advanced math and science and that's not necessarily anything my peers up there probably would have experienced. So I always felt very disconnected from my peers in Newfoundland because you know I was always too like Indian and then I'd go home and they're all like you're just too white like we don't like I never felt like I belonged anywhere and so for me that's where a lot of my you know like traumas and stuff came from and so growing up and not knowing how to make friends or not knowing social norms or not knowing how how to fit in between two places has really kind of given helps me think and I guess uh, factors into my watching and learning because I, I have to kind of watch and see what's going on so I don't make a fool of myself again <laughs> so definitely I've always felt like I've been from Labrador but not feeling like I've been accepted or validated in the way that my 
my body wants to be validated. Like I want somebody to just say, we accept you as part of, you know, one of us. And that's a bit unrealistic, but I think my child self, that's what I've always sort of wanted to hear. And so it's been a bit of an identity crisis when I started the visual arts program, because I had this urge to just make all this like inu art and, and things related to Labrador and the land. But I still felt like I was, I was too white to be able to do that. For some reason, I was like, I'm restricted by where I've lived or my experience. And I, f- I always felt like I didn't have enough, ex- enough experiences being in or living off the land that I could get away with, with making those sorts of things. And so my whole process here at Grenfell has really been about finding myself, finding my identity and really about a lot of acceptance. Um, and so coming out of this degree, like you said, the tent that I had, I didn't want to set anything up in, in the gallery, you know, because of the history galleries and mm-hmm. what they meant. It was elitist and stuff like that. And I'd spent the whole, my whole fourth year in the summer before up in Labrador, kind of getting to know the people in the places, taking photography. And of what I see when I go back, coming from, you know, the, the perspective of, of being educated in Newfoundland, and I took, you know, children take pictures up there of kind of what they see never having left. And so that was a really interesting thing for me to do. And I also did a, a walk with Jaguesh Elizabeth Paneshwe mm-hmm. up in the Mealy Mountains. And that kind of just living off the land and realizing how, how much it nourished my soul. And so I came back for my fourth year really wanting to kind of just show everybody how, how much... I've learned and this is, you know, this is what I focus my whole degree on is getting to know myself and acceptance. And then for a campus that is, you know, very inclusive, they weren't that inclusive. And so trying to just set up my tent outside and just have my little stove go and have a cup of tea. There were so many like litigations and all these things and this is a liability. And and so it just turned from wanting to not be part of the spectacle in the gallery, it turned into its own spectacle outside and it's just... It wasn't what I wanted it to be, and that's how it turned out. I was just like, that's it. That's how it's got to be right now. And, yeah, so kind of always trying to jump between how I feel and and where I feel I belong versus how reality is and how I have to interact with the society I'm in in order to kind of tell the stories that I want to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And, hmm, um... In terms of, I guess, I, mean, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I guess in terms of your own identity, in terms of how you sort of, you know, uh, I, I guess I'm trying to ask a question about the transmission of culture. I mean, uh, who's teaching you these techniques, or is that important, or, or? It's very important, and that's, I think, these last few years since I graduated is, is what I'm really working towards, because my grandmother, she was known for her tea dolls, her name was Madeline Michelin. And so she has tea dolls all over the place. They were sought after. She has some in the rooms, collections, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And growing up, I guess I wasn't I was so focused on other things. I didn't, and she, you know, my grandmother passing away was the first person that passed away in my life, and I didn't understand how important her knowledge was. And so when she passed away, I realized, like, everything she knew died with her. And I cried, and I mourned that loss so much because... You know, I was finally getting into a point where it's just like, I'm ready to be this and I'm ready to accept myself. And now, you know, the one person who could teach me what she knew has has passed. And so that was really sad. And I felt really 
unhopeful for a long time. And so I asked my aunt one time, because she also makes tea dolls. And I said, well, how did you learn? Like, did grandma teach you? And she's like, no, I just kind of like looked at her doll and figured it out. And for me, in my mind, that was cheating because I was like, I need somebody to show me exactly the right way so it for it to be right. Yeah. And so after kind of hearing that, I would uh, look at my grandmother's doll and try to make the body. And, I, and it was really frustrating because I was sitting in a room alone with myself. That obviously makes sense, alone with myself. But with my grandmother's tea doll trying to make this happen and not being able to interact with, with people. And so it's it's me again feeling isolated from my culture, wanting to learn and have this yearning, but not being able to be connected in the way that I hoped that I would be able to. And so for me, you know, the elders are really important and I don't get home as much as I would love to be able to get home. So there, there is, is really important for me for, to learn like firsthand knowledge and experiential mm. knowledge, and sometimes it's not possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do remember very clearly when you went and did the walk, and, and uh, it just seemed to be really important. And uh, yeah, anyway, it, 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 it seemed to be really significant that you got the chance to do that. It was. I, I got a call back for doing my master's in art therapy at Concordia. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're going to be uh, conducting interviews at this time. I was like, well, I'm going to be in the woods. <laughs> So if you wouldn't mind calling me back, like two weeks from now, that'd be great. <laughs> and I got, I had an interview. I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't get in. But I'm actually really happy that that didn't happen. It's kind of like putting me on a path to where I am today. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah sometimes these things just work out the way they're supposed happen. to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you get up to Labrador now very often? You said not, not how often? I guess is the question. I'll probably get up like a week, like every year, and oh, yeah. you know, going to school. I went to school for like nine years straight. And I got, you know, in the summertime, I was doing summer courses. And so I'd get up for like a month or two and then that's it for the year. And since I've been finished school, I've been working full time um, and I love it and I don't get that much time. So when I get do get my vacation time, it's like going over to the East Coast and, mm. and visiting my mom and my family because most of them are there now. So it's really hard and, and I really want to go back up and I'm actually planning on some projects that involve being in Labrador, so hopefully I can spend more time up there yeah. under the guise of making art. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of that, I guess maybe a question for the both of you. One of the things that, um, one of the reasons why I'm doing this is to talk to people about you know, why they're here on the West Coast, why they choose to stay, you know. And it seems to me, uh, as much as I'm able to tell, there's a bit of a, it's a nice vibe at the moment. There's a lot of people around, people doing stuff. I mean, um, and it might, this might be a different response from both of you, but uh, I mean, what's it like right now to be, to be you know, practicing as a visual artist on the West Coast of Newfoundland? Is there a community that you feel, I mean, you've been saying you feel a bit disconnected in some ways, but is there something that you feel connect, connected to here? Is it kind of, how's it going? It's going really well. It's interesting. This is, I think this is 10 years since I first came to the west coast of Newfoundland and even from like a 10 year period it's it's exciting to be here right now and I think part of it is the way in which the visual the visual art world is changing a bit but I think there's less um I think we're figuring out ways to be here because we want to be here, and and but also a feel less of a feeling that you need to kind of how can I say this that you can forge your path or your practice 
in the way that suits you and there's less mm -hmm. commitment to having to be in the white cube or yeah I don't it's it seems that it's easier to operate a studio or a practice from here it's easier to communicate with like I much of what I've done in the last year um, I haven't had to like chase it down opportunities just kind of have been kind of popping up which is oh, nice it is nice yeah and um, and it does affect the way like for me it affects the way in which I work when I like I think like when you think of like the material thing and the heavy stuff or like when I was making cinder blocks of like my practice has shifted in that sense because we're on the west coast of Newfoundland and we're on an island and if you have to ship stuff, it <laughs> shouldn't be cinder blocks. It should not be cinder blocks. Just it, it should FYI. never be. Um, but I tend to make, I tend to make the work I want to make now. But it also, when I'm making it, I think more about shipping or like how how can I, how would I make the work here, and then disassemble it only to like the really important stuff or. How can I make work that I don't even have to ship and I can just like source it wherever the show is going to be? Yeah. Um, I think that's the change, but it's also um, a lot of my practice now revolves around the industrial nature of space and there's an element of humor and there's um, more of an exploration of place, like alternative portraits of place, but in a way like I've moved around quite a bit and when you move around quite a bit, especially to smaller places that are um, very established, it's sometimes hard to, like it's interesting to be on the west coast of Newfoundland because it's very, like I grew up in rural Nova Scotia and it's very similar and a lot of my work is about industry in place or things that are destroyed or um, how how do you get to know a place when it's not the place you're from or it's not the place um, or it's I spent some time in southeast Saskatchewan and I arrived at like the low of the low of the oil bust um, and kind of all the all the roving people who worked in the oil patch had moved on, but the community was kind of like, well, you're not here for that long, so we're not really going to get to know you. Um, so being here has shifted the way in which I work, but it shifts the way I look at places. And I think it's interesting because, like, I came from Nova Scotia, and it's interesting, like, the west coast of Newfoundland is more home to me now. Like, I like going back to visit my family, but where I grew up is not home. But then when you're here, you're come from away. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it. Uh, I think being here allows me to just look at place differently. But also, um, it works for my practice because I'm interested in how you make work with, like how you make do with what you have, which I think is um, like the places that I found when I've been in Saskatchewan or Nova Scotia or here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, interesting that, uh, you know, obviously place affects what you do. I hadn't thought about the very practical nature of it, that, you know, mm -hmm. the, the having to deal with, you know, your art yeah. affects how you make 
Mm-hmm. Your stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And what do you mean by the uh, industrial use of space? So I started um, kind of in my final year when I was at Grenfell, but then uh, in, in years coming, documenting uh, the places that I grew up in Nova Scotia because the highway was being twinned through. And I grew up in the middle of my grandparents' hayfield and my grandparents were next door and a couple of uncles lived nearby. And um, 10 years ago when I came here, was the start of major changes. So every time I've gone back to visit since coming here, like the first time, like my uncle's house was just gone. Um, and up until a couple of years ago when the highway opened, but like that, my grandparents' house is gone and both of my uncle's places are gone. Gone, gone, like, like torn down, like there's gone. asphalt on them. Um, and my parents went from living, oh. yeah. Uh, so like where my, uh, the road I grew up on kind of went through where my uncle's property was and the highway is like my grandfather's barn is still there but the the house is not um, and my family went like my grandmother kind of like has a new place in the field behind us like she kind of just shifted where she lives but it's not you know the house she raised 10 kids in and um and they went from being in the middle of a hayfield in, in rural Nova Scotia to sitting on six lanes of traffic. But um, it was an interesting project for me because my dad works construction and he's an excavator operator and works on large road building projects. So um, the highway coming through also meant for the first time in a really long time my dad got to like, like not leave on a Monday morning and come back on a Friday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cause when I first started working on it, people were like, oh, this is great. You're doing protest art. And I was like, it's not a protest. <laughs> it's just a reflection of like this place that I like, that was so familiar and the changes. Um, and thinking about like, uh, oddly enough, when I was here, I was not a stellar photography student. <laughs> My best work was of garbage. Uh, but I've been able to pull photography in, in a sculptural way. Um, so I kind of, I documented the back pasture and the, like the untouched land and then the bridges being constructed across the river, um, and suspended them on transparency film in the gallery. So people could kind of stand between what was and what was to come. Um, and it, yeah, and it was more just a reflection of change. You know, not like, like, was really glad that my dad had work and that, you know, he could come home at the end of the day. And um, because, because we were on the river, my, like, my grandmother had a really good perspective of it. My grandfather had passed and she was glad that he didn't have to see, like, the house go. But she also knew that to put up a fuss would mean that friends and neighbors that she had lived next door to for, you know, over 50 years would lose their homes. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. Mm. Um, I'll tell you a quick story before I end. Just a quick story. Uh, I, you might like the story. I don't know. I used to drive from, because um, I was a bit of a maniac, when I was in school here, I used to drive from Lab City 
to here. And I, I did that in my third and fourth year. Uh, so I left here one year in the spring, thinking, oh, this is fantastic. Ran into, of course, ran into a snowstorm. It's somewhere in northern Quebec. It was just it was insane. But you made me think of this thing. Um, I don't know if it's the same now, but uh, uh, there's a couple of mining communities right inside the border of Quebec that were torn down. They were just, they were just, uh, I guess the mine closed or whatever. I, I forget mm-hmm. now the details, but uh, rather than leave these houses standing, they, they went and tore everything down. So uh, that road through these towns, I think one of them was called Gagnon, if I remember correctly. Uh, the road became part of the highway network. So if you're driving from uh, Fermont, which is this town side, just inside the border, down through, you were on these roads. So as you left, drove, you drove through Gagnon, and all that was left of this little town was the dips in the sidewalk where the where the oh. drivers used to be. Exactly. Yeah. Well. It was the spookiest damn thing I've ever experienced because everything everything was gone. The only hint that anyone that ever lived there were those Traces driveway of uh, driveways. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just unbelievably spooky. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I know, right? Uh, listen, thank you so much for doing this. No problem. Thanks for having us. Congratulations on your nomination thank for the you. Eva Awards. Uh, look forward to following your work and keeping up with stuff. Good luck with the festival of the summer. Look forward to that, even though I don't have tickets and can't go. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining me. I was going to say goodbye. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. And if you want to get in touch with me, drop me a line at info at sofapodcast.com. I'll put uh, up some show notes. So if you've got um, you know websites or things you want me to link to, yeah, uh, send a line to me. And folks can find that at www.sofapodcast.com. <laughs> thanks a lot for doing this. Thanks for having us. All right. See ya. Bye. The School of Fine Arts podcast was recorded at Grenfell Campus, Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. The West Coast, it's the best coast.